You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. We're going to continue the series on true riches this morning. Um, we're going to co- try to do it quickly. So um, last week we talked about one principle. This week we're going to talk about seven principles. So we're going to try to do this quickly. Um, <laughs> Last week was an important message, and if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go online and and find it for yourself and listen to it. It's the principle of first things. The principle of first things is really the principle in the area of our money, the hard issue of our money, that's the training wheels. It's It's the starting place. If you say, I want Jesus to be Lord and master of my life and Lord and master of my finances, I want to declare him as owner of my finances, and I'm simply a steward. And the principle of first things gets you going on the right trajectory. It's the giving of, of the first 10% of our income to the Lord. It begins to set the trajectory of, I'm going to trust the Lord as my provider. I'm going, to, I'm going to start living a life of gratitude. And you'll begin to see the blessing that accompanies that principle of first things. That God gives you a contentment. He gives you a uh, an ability to, to walk out in gratitude, ability to, to see God miraculously provide again and again in your life. It's the best way to live, and that's just the starting place. So we, we talked about that one principle last week. This week we're going to talk about seven principles from the book of Proverbs. The heart behind this series is Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. He says, one who is faithful in little, this is Jesus talking, one who is faithful in little will be faithful with much. One who is dishonest in little will be dishonest in much. He just says it like it is. He says, If you then have been not faithful with unrighteous wealth or unrighteous mammon, who then will entrust you the true riches of God? It's Jesus that makes that connection between the hard issue of our money and the true riches of our our life actually uh, mattering, actually having some eternal significance. He says it matters how we handle our finances. I know. Uh, it maybe seems illogical, but Jesus talks about money more than he talks about prayer, more than he talks about faith. He talks about it a lot because it matters, and we all have to deal with it. We all have to handle money. And he says it matters how we handle our unrighteous wealth. We want to be entrusted with the true riches of, king, of the kingdom, which is not an increased net income or net net worth, maybe. I don't know what that means, but... It actually simply means that our lives will make an eternal impact, that we have the opportunity for our lives to actually matter in light of eternity. And I want to be entrusted with the true riches of the kingdom. I know that's God's heart for our church, um, individually and corporately, that God, God is calling us to something big, and that means we need to handle our finances well. I hope you're getting the delineation I'm trying to create throughout this entire series. I don't ever want you to leave confused about the goodness of God displayed through Jesus and his grace displayed for you on the cross and through his resurrection. There's nothing you can do to earn God's acceptance and favor. Jesus has accomplished that fully for you. So when I talk about these principles, the principle of first things, or this morning as I talk about these seven principles uh, from the book of Proverbs, these do not, these do not um, make a bearing on God's acceptance of you. As you place your faith in Jesus, you can take it to the bank. He accepts you as a son or as a daughter. What, what I believe the kingdom of God sets forth for us are these two potential paths of life, fullness, abundance, fruitfulness, uh, contentment, joy, peace, all these things, or this other life, which the Bible continually calls this life or path of death, of death, 
which is this like constant strife and toil and stress and anxiety and the burdens that follow when we completely disobey and disregard God's principles. And so I want us to continue to lay, uh, lay before you the, that, that delineation of those two paths. Last week we talked about how the, the principle of first things, it's not law, it's life. And I want you to be set free in your finances by, by trusting God through this simple way of setting aside the first 10% before you do anything else. Show that you trust God more than you, than you uh, respect and fear the government or fear and respect your mortgage company. God, first and foremost, I respect you. And so I give you the first 10% of my money. It's a big step, but I believe that's the training wheels of the kingdom of God. It's so good for our hearts. That sets our hearts in their posture towards life, fullness, contentment, joy. So this morning we're going to talk about seven principles from the book of Proverbs. As I was preparing for this series, I couldn't help but consider the entire book of Proverbs and how repeatedly the book of Proverbs brings us to wisdom in our finances. So I want us to walk in wisdom in our finances, and God makes it so accessible to us. He repeatedly brings us to these principles of wisdom in our finances, and that's because he's cheering for you. God wants you to be successful in your finances, to walk out as good, wise stewards in the area of your finances. So he's not trying to make you uh, figure this out on your own. So let's uh, look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12, verses 12 through 21, because I want you to see how accessible God is making this to you. He is cheering for you. He says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles all who govern justly. So wisdom is the way these, these leaders walk in godly authority in our lives. And he's saying that's accessible to us. He says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. This is the personification of wisdom. He's saying if you love wisdom, you'll find wisdom. If you seek me diligently, you will find wisdom. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So the same connection that Jesus makes in the Gospels in Luke chapter 16 that, I, that we had on the screen just prior here, King Solomon in the book of, the book of Proverbs says the same thing, the same uh, connection. That our, our handling of earthly finances is directly connected to this enduring wealth. This, bless, this blessing of abundance and provision that God has for us. Riches and honor are with those that carry wisdom. Now, and I, again, I'm not talking that you're going, to, you're, you're going to be the richest person in the world. This is not a prosperity gospel message. This is an inner prosperity of your soul. You will live with greater contentment, greater peace, greater joy as you begin to walk in godly wisdom in the area of your finances. We will have access to enduring wealth. That's the true riches of the kingdom. That's what I want in my life. I want my life to count. Get one shot at this. Let's do it right. So as we walk in godly wisdom, we'll, we'll gain this, in, in, this inheritance in the kingdom to come. He'll fill our treasuries. So principle number one, we're going to fly. Keeping up with the Joneses is a trap. Keeping up with the Joneses is a trap. And we have a Jones family in our church, and I feel like I'm taking their name in vain. But this comes from a, supposedly, 
this, uh, the story behind that phrase, Keeping Up with the Joneses, comes back from like the 1930s. There's a comic strip co- called the Keeping Up with the Joneses. And so uh, it's, it's old, 80 years. But it's interesting that the last 80 years since that, the, uh, the creation of that phrase, how that concept has only become more and more of an alluring temptation in our lives. And now even more so with the, with the proliferation of social media, we are inundated with this, this temptation, this, this bait to get us to compare ourselves with, with, with what other people have and to begin to envy and begin to try to measure ourselves up. Are we cutting it? Do, we, do, do other people respect us? Do, do our lives count in the eyes of other people? And all that's a trap. I'll just say it. It's a trap. Any good trap, though, has to have bait. If it's going to attract, if it's going to draw us in. So the bait of this trap, this comparison trap, it's pride. It's wanting us to be respected and esteemed by others around us. I believe it's also self-pity. Self, self-pity feels good for a moment. Like, feel sorry for ourselves. If I just had what those people had, if I just had that nicer house, if I just had that nicer car, the, the boat that they have, you know, maybe then I'd be content. Then maybe I'd be happy. It's this, this bait of of self-pity or victimization. If you for a moment fall into that being allured by this, this narrative that you are somehow a victim of your circumstances, that's a tr- it's setting, trying to set a trap around your neck, around your life. Keeping up with the Joneses is a trap. Recent stats say that by the age of 20, we've seen one million commercials. And this is actually 15 years old. That stat is 15 years old. So I can guarantee it's way more than that now with, uh, with social media, with all the small ads that we see. Every time you open up a YouTube uh, video, you see an ad. And so we are inundated with this, this narrative over our lives that says you must have more. You must, you must keep up with what, people, with, with what other people have. So Proverbs chapter 12, verse 9 says, Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. I picture a man... Uh, driving around his Lamborghini without a place to lay his head at night and not even able to afford buying a cheeseburger at McDonald's because he's sink, sunk all of his money in trying to keep up with what, with what other people see as a status symbol. Let us, let us, let us uh, walk in wisdom and shed those, those temptations to try to keep up with others. It's a trap every single time. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7, says that, that, says that one pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. And I think it's so refreshing to be around people that actually have great wealth, but they still walk with that humility, that simplicity. They treat their, their things well. They maintain them. They maybe drive uh, older vehicles, but they, they look still new because they keep them clean and nice. I, just, I think that's refreshing to be around people that understand themselves as stewards before the Lord. And sadly, the trend over the last 20 years it's kind of, the numbers kind of fluctuate. But more often than not, over the last 20 years, more people have filed bankruptcy in a given year than graduated from college with a bachelor's degree. So that's the state of where we've been over the last 20 plus years in our nation and in our culture. We are tempted to try to keep up with what, with, with, with what other people have. I feel like I'm flying because of the time pressure, so I, just, I can't even come up with words. I am so sorry. I'll just take a deep breath here. Number two, debt and slaves. I just keep seeing all my principles. I usually have one idea. This morning I have seven, and then I keep looking at the clock, and I'm like, is it cool if we go a little longer this morning? Okay, sorry. So number two is this, debt and slaves. That may seem like an overstatement, 
But I actually just want you to first consider this phrase from a purely mathematical standpoint. Debt enslaves. Every time you, you sign up for an, to, to agree to more debt, you are obligating that amount of money for, for however many months. And that money is now spoken for. So now you're a slave to that agreement to pay that money back. And so you have less room in your budget and your income to freely say, okay, God, what would you have me do with this? You have less room in your budget to simply say yes to Jesus and to say, God, I want to dream with you with X amount of money. As we continue to say yes to more and more debt, we're becoming more and more enslaved to more and more lenders. And, and King Solomon says it, Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower, the borrower is slave of the lender. I want to paint a picture for you of financial freedom. I believe that's God's will for your life. And just imagine, what would your life be like if you were debt-free? Debt free, just, just first consider, what would it look like if your life was debt-free, but you still had a mortgage? So no credit card, no cars, uh, no fancy toys that were unpaid for except for through debt. What would your life look like if you had that amount of ex excess money in your income to say, Yes to Jesus at the, at the drop of a hat. If God's prompting you to do something, you, need to, you can say yes. Or in a given moment, you can dream with God. Something can break your heart globally that's happening. You say, God, how would you want me to partner with this? But so often we overextend ourselves in the area of taking on debt. That's just our culture. There's this pressure. Even you can own this with 32 easy payments of $29.99, and, and everything has this for this many months at this amount, this small amount of money, and we begin to obligate all of our money. We become slave to more and more lenders. In Proverbs 13, verses 7 through 8, it says, One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. It's like when we're not tied down to actually all these obligations, we have this freedom. No one can really threaten us. It's, it's a scary place if we're in over our heads with debt. So I just want to cast that vision of financial freedom. And actually, starting uh, next month, we are offering Financial Peace University. Every single semester, we have offered Financial Peace University here at the church. And I, just, I, I want you to know that you can go online today and the weeks to come and sign up for that. I believe in it. Both me and my wife, early in our marriage, we got on the trajectory of uh, the Financial Peace University principles, and it changed, it changed the financial aspect of our lives. And so I believe in it. I believe we're getting into a scary place. I just want us as, as wise followers of Jesus to set ourselves up to uh, accomplish all that he has for us. The most recent stats, this is from February 2018. It says that currently there... Uh, Consumer debt is 45% higher than it was at two, in 2008, right prior to the financial crisis, 2008, 2009. So if you look at the graphs, 2008, the consumer debt was here, and then it sank, obviously, after the crisis. Everyone had to either file bankruptcy or, or scramble to clean their mess up. But then it just continued to climb again. It's like we didn't learn the first time or that time around, and then it just continued to climb, and now it's 45% higher than it was in 2008. Let us be different. Let's be different than the world. Let's say no to more debt. It enslaves. Let's say yes to life and contentment and fullness and peace. Third principle is this. You can't outgive God. You just can't. You can try. It's a fun competition to embark on. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. 
Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. There's this principle of reciprocity of those who give will be given much more. And Jesus said that those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. They, they're shown, they're demonstrating that they, they will be faithful stewards of what God gives to them. And I just want us to be as a church, a church that increases our standard of giving instead of increasing our standard of living. As God blesses us, which I know he is, the more and more I hear of people getting promoted at work or getting a new job or having the opportunity to move into a new house and save a bunch of money, can I tell you that's the blessing of God? And so let's receive that blessing with, the, with right hearts, with the right postured hearts, and say we're going to increase our standard of giving instead of increase our standard of living. This is not prosperity gospel. This is let's make our lives count for the true riches of the kingdom. Principle four is this. Integrity and hard work matter. I'm going to hit on integrity in a little bit, so I'll just really key in on hard work. It's not something that's often talked about, but it's so interesting as you quickly survey the book of Proverbs, how adamant King Solomon and the others that compiled the book of Proverbs, how adamant they are about hard work. God just continually affirms getting our hands dirty, working hard, sweating, and I'd love the picture of at the end of the day, you being completely exhausted, but in your heart you're full because you gave yourself fully to that which God put before you. That's a good place to be. When physically you've worked hard, you've, extend, you've expended yourself and extended yourself to, uh, to, to the far reaches of, of where you thought you could go, but your heart is full because you know you've been obedient. You've done what the Lord's put before you with excellence. So I just picked out a couple. Proverbs 13, verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 20, verse 13 says, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. And, and many times in the book of Proverbs is that uh, attack on sleep. And let's not be sluggers, let's not be lazy. God, God's for you sleeping. Um, but sleep the right amount. Let's not be slaves to our beds. Let's realize there's, uh, we have a short life to live. Let's go for it and work hard. I don't think working hard is talked about much in gospel-believing churches because we, we want to emphasize the free gift of grace, which I 100% or 10% affirm. God has taken care of it for you. You don't have to toil before the Lord. But in our short window of time on this planet, let's give it all we got. Let's, let's, let's sweat and work hard and, and work with inte- integrity and excellence as unto the Lord. That can be 100% affirmed. And I feel like maybe some people have a hard time grabbing a hold of that because you hate your job. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you hate your job, okay? <laughs> some already offered to raise their hand, thanks. Um, this fall, I'm going to do a message in a series called Lifestyle Christianity about mo- how Monday matters, because I believe Monday does matter. And, and sometimes in Christianity, churchianity, we can get into the rut of feeling like everything hinges on Sunday morning, and then Monday morning we feel so, so much less spiritual, but I would love to see us as a church, as individuals, wake up Monday morning and say, okay, hey God, today is your day. I'm so excited to give you all, all that you deserve and do it with excellence as unto the Lord. And it, I realize that some of you feel like so boxed in at your job. It's like I am told what to do like with every inch of who I am and every minute is spoken for. I believe that's actually the greatest opportunity for creativity 
creative expression. Think about this. I read this in a book called The Artisan Soul, which I highly recommend. Read it. Artisan, the Artisan Soul by Erwin McManus. It'll change your life after the Bible. It's an awesome book. But he talks about how the essence of creativity is constraints, is limitations. It's not creative if everything is just wide open. There's no limitations or constraints to it. And how in, even in God's creative act, it was compounding constraints and limitations. Day after day in his, in his creative story, the, 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 the constraints of his creativity continued to get boxed in until he came to his crowning glory, the creation of humanity. It's like all the limitations and constraints just for our existence were at their height. And then he created his highest creation that, that, that bore his image in humanity. It blows your mind. I know, it blows my mind. And so if you feel boxed in at your job, you're, you're, you're a line worker, you're working the drive-thru at Burger King, I don't know, whatever your job is, you actually have the greatest opportunity for creative expression because the constraints are at their maximum. You have to think even harder. You have to, you have to ask for insight from the Lord for, for that to matter, and it can matter in light of eternity. I believe it. So hard work matters. We're going to talk a little bit more about integrity as well. And number six. Number five is generosity to the poor is God's heart, period. There's no politicizing this. There's no, like, trying to explain people's stories. Just we see time and time again in the book of Proverbs, when you give to the poor, it's good. Just giving to those who are in a lesser uh, financial state than you, it's just good. It's good medicine for our soul. So Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, and blessed is he who is generous to the poor. It's blessed. You are blessed when you give to the poor. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. And whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay for his deed. It's like when we give to the poor, we're giving to the Lord. So you don't have to try to get in your head about whether or not you should give to that person in need. You can just be confident that when you give to the poor, you're giving to the Lord. He'll repay. He sees it. And giving is, I believe, such a gift for our soul. The fact that we can give, that we have something to give. And one of the quickest um, antidotes for, for pride and greed and selfishness is to give, to get it out of our hands. John Wesley himself said, Money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. And John Wesley had an amazing testimony of giving because he was so blessed out of his writing and his travels, and yet he lived on like 10% of what he made because he just got it out of his hands. So I believe we should give to the poor. And if, you, if you're one who struggles um, because you, you know that sometimes when you give to the poor, sometimes they'll, they'll abuse it or they'll, they'll take it for granted or maybe they'll go and, and buy some alcohol with it or, or whatever, I would just encourage you Yes, you have the Holy Spirit in you, so you can walk with discernment in that. But I would just encourage you to give in faith and pray over that gift. Say, God, I pray that you'd encounter this individual. You're entrusting it to the Lord, and you're giving as unto the Lord, and then you're praying that God will meet their, their need, that, God, that this person will see this as a gift. Wow, okay, this is mercy in this moment. This is compassion. And maybe that gift in that moment will be the thing that softens their heart. The next time they, they take a swig of whiskey, all of a sudden they'll get sick and the conviction of the Holy Spirit will hit them and they'll realize they need God. I don't know how it works. But we just give to the Lord and we, we give to those who are poor. 
We give to those who are in need. Six is gaining wealth in dishonest ways cannot be rewarded. It may, may have short-term returns, but we see in the book of Proverbs, throughout the book of Proverbs, integrity and doing things the right way, it's rewarded. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27 says, whoever is greedy for unjust gains troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. So you may see very, very superficial, very short-term gains for doing things in a dishonest way, but here, right here in the book of Proverbs, you see there's this ripple effect of dishonesty and greed and, and selfishness and cutting corners. And sadly, I believe many times nationally, cult, those, those cultures globally that are so infested with corruption and greed and bribery, there's, there's, it's so built into the DNA of their society that I, I, I have mercy. I have, uh, my heart breaks for those, those cultures and those countries because I believe uh, so inundated, they're so surrounded by it. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 5 through 6 says, The plans of, it, of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The giving of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. That's exactly what I said. It's a short-term gain. Principle seven is this. For true riches, money does not give us security. Continually, this theme is, is written throughout the book of Proverbs. Chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. It says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to, divide, than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Do not put your trust in finances, in your income. Even if you have a contract, that thing can dissolve tomorrow. Contracts mean nothing, let's be honest. You have no certainty except for that security you can find in God. Let's put our trust in God. I love that story of John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men, men to ever live. It was said after his death that somebody walked up to his accountant and said, how much money did John, John leave? And his accountant witty, was very witty and said, he actually left everything. He left everything behind him. He, he, he couldn't take any of it with him. So we leave it all behind. Our security does not matter where you are in the, the grand scheme of the, the uh, economical spectrum. We all sit in the same place before the Lord. And Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So Jim Elliott was for gain, but it's the right type of gain. Just like Jesus was all for us storing up treasures, but it's the right, right treasures. He said, do store up treasures, but store up your treasures in heaven where wrath and, and, and rust, whatever. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to talk too fast. He's all about storing up treasures. Just do it. But it's the right type of treasures. True riches of eternal significance. Of, of true, um, true significance, eternal significance. I'm going to ask Paige to come forward. I want us to be different. I want, I want us to walk in godly wisdom in, our, in the area of our finances. And I would just challenge you. you know, as I stand before you with the word and try to speak truth tenderly with a pastor's heart, my hope is to point you towards life. Never with a heavy hand. I don't want people feeling condemned. Conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's his work. But I'm praying that it will tenderly and um, very carefully lead you towards a more full life in God, the blessed life. I really believe that and hope for that. If everyone would just uh, close their eyes, bow their head in this place.
as we deal with the hard issue of money. The very first week I talked about how money is such a hard issue. I believe if we're going to walk honestly before the Lord, we need to give him an opportunity to peer into our hearts for us to respond to him fully. And if you were to see a person with a white coat on approaching you with a scalpel, you could easily consider that person an enemy, a threat to you. Or you could realize, oh, I have a heart issue. I need heart surgery. And the person's actually a doctor and they're, they're looking to actually do the right thing and repair your heart. And so often when the truth of God's word spoken, we can kind of tense up and we can run from it. We can harden our hearts. And I would just ask you to, to for, for a moment, just consider these principles and maybe your current financial state and offer it to the Lord and say, God, repair the things that need to be repaired. Change my perspective. Change my heart. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to experience all that you have for me in the area of my finances. Just right now, respond to the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.